0: 333-1933. Online at mypremiereortho.com.
1: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times. Today I have a special guest, host, co-host, Annie Corrigan is here. Annie is uh, with WFiu, of course, and is the host of Earth Eats. And today's topic is local food, and what it takes to make it more accessible to consumers. We have four guests with us in the studio: Jody Ellett from the Local Growers Guild; she's a member of the Local Growers Guild. Dave Rallo, who you may know as a former guest uh, on many topics, member of the Bloomington City Council, but he's here today in his capacity as owner of Strangers Hill Organics Farm. Uh, Seth Elgar is the executive chef for Upland Brewing Company. And Marsha Veldman is the Bloomington Farmers Market Coordinator. You can join us on the program by calling 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. The web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition if you want to join a live chat. So uh, welcome to everybody. Thanks Thank for being you. here. Good to Annie. see you guys. Yeah. Hey. Well, what, a what a pleasure.
2: A... I'm looking forward to this. It oh, should be man. great.
1: Yeah. It's great to have you here. We miss Mary Catherine, of course. We mm-hmm. always do. But Annie's a she's a pro. So it's going <laughs> gonna, gonna to upgrade our, our game today. Oh,
2: there we go.
1: All right. No pressure.
2: Oh, all right. All
1: right. Well, I want to I start with uh, Jody and talk oh. about the Local Growers Guild and uh, what it is and what, what your vision is, what your mission is.
3: The Local Growers Guild is a cooperative of growers and community members and retailer and restaurant members. So we serve the sort of local food needs of those producing it and those buying it. And uh, we do a lot of events, and we co-sponsor different events. And our vision that we're working on now is trying to provide a new Mechanism for growers to connect with buyers
1: mm-hmm. well it, it seems as if there 's been a lot of um, a lot of specific effort to get a lo- local food into re- restaurants uh, here locally of course Seth uh, that's one of the things with upland, I assume indeed,
4: mm-hmm. we purchased from several local purveyors, uh, not just farmers but uh, artisans as well. Uh, charcuterie producers, uh, popcorn producers, uh, pretty much if, if someone's making something locally and it's a, a fantastic product that we can bring to our customers, uh, we go out of our way to try to do that.
2: We've got to talk about your bacon ice cream. Can you des- describe that for our listeners yes. right now?
4: Yes. Uh, bacon ice cream uh, at Upland is produced by the Chocolate Mousse, uh, and this is something I approached them about as I took over as executive chef about 15 months ago. And uh, that utilizes bacon from the Butcher's Block, which is uh, an Indiana uh, platter style bacon. And uh, it's all, uh, as much as possible, uh, Indiana ingredients. They say, made there by the Chocolate Mousse and uh, served exclusively uh, at Upland Brewing Company, unless Steve is, happens to be sampling it at the farmer's market.
2: It's interesting. Has yeah. anyone tried it? It's, no, it changes not. the way you think about dessert.
4: It's, uh, oh. it's what butter pecan ice cream wants to be when it grows up. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Well,
1: um, Dave Rollo from uh, Strangers Hill Organics Farm. So you're sort of new to this farming thing, aren't you?
5: I mean, I kind of, am actually, in, and I, I and I should correct. I'm a co-owner of the co-owner. Farm. Okay. The original founders are Lee and Dale Jones, sure, and yeah. they uh, they've been doing this for 30 years. They're the experts, and uh, so I'm in a sort of an apprentice position, uh, and enjoying every minute of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, this is we we went into the partnership. Six of us. Uh, in two thousand and seven so mm-hmm. we 've been added uh, expanded the expanded vegetable farm now for five years or fifth year, and they only and have been doing bedding plants for a long long time mm-hmm. yeah so what was your motivation to get involved? Well, I thought i probably should uh, walk the talk uh, i've been talking about sustainability for a long time, and i you know i've been talking about peak oil and energy costs and an antidote to that is local localization of very many kinds, but particularly food and It turns out that localization of food is really beneficial for farmers, beneficial for the environment ben- beneficial for the consumer um, and it keeps wealth local it keeps dollars circulating in the community and prevents economic leakage and everything you know that is bad about you know having a a specialized global, global economy, so it just seemed like the thing to do, and I have some background in biology, so uh, I thought that might lend itself, too. So that's you something. know,
2: before we get too far away uh, from talking about local food in the very beginning of the show, let's define this term, because local food means something completely different for someone living in the desert in Arizona than it does for someone living in southern Indiana. So with the four of you together, let's see if we can cobble together a definition for local food in southern Indiana.
1: Marsha, you want to try? Sure okay.
0: well, with the farmers market, what we use um, as our area that farmers can come from to sell at the market is the state of Indiana, which isn't necessarily how I would define local food but that it's been the tradition and we've kept it in in reality the uh, the longest distance traveled is about two hours, and there's only a couple vendors who do that, and most of them come within an hour's drive.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Any, any other definitions?
4: I guess uh, from the restaurant standpoint, yeah. um, where I draw an ethical line with regards to what's local and what's not is if it's capable of being grown uh In the area, like with regards to our proteins, the ultimate goal with Upland is that uh, um, here shortly, by the end of this year, that all of our meats that are capable of coming from within the state of Indiana are coming from within the state of Indiana. Um, We happen to go through a lot of product. And so one of the defining characteristics for me is um, a producer has to be able to give me enough product for me to – be able to use it. Uh, if I run out of it too quickly, then I've kind of shortchanged my customers. So we we get choosy as far as what we put on a menu uh, in that regard. But my my ultimate goal is to make sure that as much of uh, the dollars that we spend as a business stay within the state of Indiana. Okay.
1: And, and just give us a, a reason why this is important, just sort of the global overall reason why it's important.
5: Dave? C- can I take a stab? Sure, yeah. Absolutely. I think the industrial model has some very severe problems with it. We talked about energy. That's that's a major one. Another one is that it's heavily reliant on pesticides, uh, fertilizers. Again, a byproduct of energy, mining, and and things like that. Um, it tends to specialize into monocultures. So if you drive west through Illinois, through you know we're in the Corn Belt, and when you drive, you'll notice just endless soybeans and corn. Well, that's an ecologically depauperate situation. I mean, it's an ecological desert. So localization of all of these kinds of produce, as well as, I mean, our ethic at the farm is ecological restoration, too. So we're putting in prairies. But you need pollination services, for instance. So we have bees. Um, But you want that kind of biological diversity. It's important to have in a local, especially an organic farm. So so it's good for the environment. It's great for the environment in that respect. Um, and I think that the model that we're seeing is beginning to fray at the edge, the, the, the globalized food system, principally because of of energy, but also because of other limits. Uh, you know, just the, the biosphere can't sustain that amount of abuse. And um, so we need to get back to, I think, local production, diversification, biointensive types of agriculture. So...
2: We were just talking about this right before the show started, that the criticism is that local and organic food can't feed the world, and that we need the industrial model in order to feed that how many millions and billions and trillions of people we're going to have on the planet in not too long. Marcia, you're smiling. What's your response to that?
0: Well, I guess the current model includes lots of corn and soybeans, and most of that is not actually going directly to feeding people. I believe it is 40% of corn being grown now is going into ethanol, which really does not have, energetically speaking, a good payoff at all. Um, And then I don't know what percentage it is of the remainder that actually goes to feeding livestock, um, which eventually does feed people, but... um, there's, um, there is a lot of energy to be saved by eating lower on the food chain and um, not putting so much um, land, uh, farmland, into growing crops for fuel.
1: Mm-hmm. We should congratulate you, Marsha, on the farmer's market. It was named one of the top ten in the country by USA Today last week. Correct? Yeah, yeah. it
0: was, I think, the 10 great destination markets. So Uh we were really excited about that and Mm -hmm. felt pretty honored by it. And it's really a testament to this community and the growers. we just have such amazing growers who come to the market, and um, and the community supports them. Right.
1: So, well, if you have any questions about the Bloomington Farmers Market, the local Growers Guild, uh, the idea of local food and and sustainable food, uh, that's what we're talking about today. So you can join us at eight five five zero eight one one in Bloomington, eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight, and the web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition we 're talking
2: about uh, we 're talking about farmers markets let's give the customers and people who go to the farmers' market every week an inside scoop into what it means to be a vendor at the market How early are you waking up when do you harvest the food that you sell how long are you there and then what do you do with the food that you don't sell
5: um, I'll, okay i'll take a stab at that um yeah it's pretty early got to get up uh, daybreak and and get out and do some harvest unless you 've done it the day before and but there are there's an optimum time to harvest, for instance, lettuce. You probably want to get it early in the morning. And then getting it to market, uh, it's a frenetic uh, place. It's really interesting, I think, to see people setting up. Uh, And um, we're lucky we're six miles away. So we're six miles from downtown. So it's pretty easy to get food there and also to run back to the farm in case we run out of something. Now, who knows what's going to be at the market so you could bring something that's everyone's bringing and then you um, generally restaurants have been good about buying things that are that are left from the day's market otherwise you know we also contribute to the Hoosier Hills Food Bank so and and in fact I think a lot of local growers uh, have a relationship where they have uh, social service agencies glean uh, from their fields so there's a lot So I would say very little goes to waste that way. Yeah. Last year, excuse me. Last
0: year, thirty-eight thousand pounds of food was donated through the farmers market to the Hoosier Hills Food (laughs) Bank. So it's pretty incredible what the farmers are donating, and it's you know it's really good to see that nutrient-dense food getting to people who may not be able to afford it, Mm -hmm. and just cutting down on waste.
1: The market is just an interesting Bloomington sort of phenomenon because it's been here for many years. And I remember when it was over on 6th Street and there was this discussion about moving it to where it is now. And it was – as all things in Bloomington, it wasn't an easy discussion. A lot of people were saying, oh, no, no, no. We can't move it from where it is now or going to make these huge – things in the parking lot and it would be a bad idea and you're not going to get more people and all this other stuff. And now, I mean, can one of you just sort of describe to our our listeners the difference between the market then and the market now?
0: Well, I was managing the market Mm -hmm. um, during that time and (laughs) I can tell you, i was actually probably a nervous wreck (laughs) because (laughs) just that you know i'd look at the the parking lot over by the what's now the history center and it's a really small parking lot and then i'd go over to showers common and it was huge and there was so much community discussion about the move and it was like oh if this fails but um it really um the move has been just outstanding for the market. you know, it was really bursting at the seams at the previous location and couldn't couldn't grow. It was landlocked. It could not grow. And by moving over to Showers Common... and Not only are we able to accommodate a lot more farmers and a lot more customers, but we were able to develop the whole prepared food end of the market, which has been really successful in a monthly art and craft fair. And then just holding events, we have space around the market and we've... Just have a lot of fun getting to to host events there. And do you know
1: what the numbers are now? Like how many vendors you can have now versus before? How many people might go through now versus before?
0: Yeah, is um, I think, and I don't want to be quoted. Well, you're Although not gonna I'm be, s- not going to be quoted <laughs> rather <phrase>. publicly, <laughs> um, that we averaged about forty five vendors um, at the previous location, and now. Um, During the peak of the season, we can have up to 115 stalls filled, but our average is right around 90. Mm -hmm. And customer-wise, it's no comparison. I think it was about um, just under 50,000 on the season, and last season we were at Mm 250,000. So it's it's just grown incredibly. Okay.
1: I think it's always interesting to go back and look at the history because it wasn't an easy thing to build the way, the way it is. We have a phone call. Let's go to Dave from Bloomington. Dave? Hi, I hope you can hear me. Yeah. Yep. I have a question about the, actually, about the future. I've read some interesting articles about places that set up uh, sort of a centralized hub where farmers, that farmers can use as the distribution point, which then serves larger institutions that need a, a more consistent and maybe a larger
6: quantity available to them. Do you know if there's any talk of that in Bloomington?
3: I can. Answer. Yeah, go ahead, yeah, go Jody. It, Jody. Um, the, this summer, the local growers guild will um, pilot a project. We're going to start online and. Um, In that online environment, people will be able to connect. Um, And so this summer, we hope to connect growers with buyers, whether they're individuals, retailers, restaurants, maybe institutions. And then we're also going to focus on grant writing so that next year we can hopefully roll out something more like a food hub where growers can bring what they've harvested and they can either be pro- it can be processed or aggregated so that we can actually start begin to scratch at the surface of the scale of food that is the demand in Bloomington but it's mm-hmm. going to take a, a while and it's going to need to be a smart process so that every all the people who the interested parties are having their needs met in the meantime
1: mm-hmm. What's your relationship with uh, the grocery stores in town? Of course, there's Blooming Foods, which is a cooperative, and I know they have a lot of local food. But what about the the big grocery stores that do this mass market kind of thing? Can you get in there?
3: I don't know. And I'm not sure um, that sort of national retailer model is not – unless a national retailer has changed their focus into saying, yes, we want to do the local – the local thing they're not going to do it and so but an institution like Indiana University who's got a mandate to have 20% of their food served from local sources by 2020 you know that's something we can we can look look for mm-hmm. you know and well,
1: i would just think that if i mean in, in the way uh, business works i mean if the demand is there and i think we've all we all agree that the demand is growing for local food um, and the price is reasonable, then I don't know why a Kroger or a Marsh or an O'Malley's wouldn't want local food in their stores. And also, I know that you go into a grocery store like that now. You can go in and they'll say, well, here's – I don't know if it's true or not. It says here's local, locally grown tomatoes, locally grown corn. I guess you need to ask where they grew it.
4: What's their
1: definition of yeah. local? Mm-hmm. Seth, because did you have something to say? Uh, if I
4: might chime in, um, <clears throat> you were talking earlier about um, how the, the theory is that that local can't solve food issues. But I feel that the the demand that consumers raise, because we all vote with our dollar, uh, the demand that consumers raise, that affects restaurants, that affects everything that, that we rely on uh, within our food system. So if the demand is there to make – that product available and make that a more widely occurring, uh, a more widely occurring event, and not just a phenomenon that exists in bloomington that's the key to to growing local and to getting us into these food hubs that aren't just in bloomington or like green bean delivery up in indianapolis um it's to get us into a, a situation where we have a, a broader network of these people who are all working together because within the restaurant end of things and i'm sure uh, you two could speak to you know, from a farm standpoint uh, a lot of restaurants um uh, if a farmer doesn't have enough of a product um, a, a restaurant might be hesitant to buy that because they're going to run out but if you had access to four or five other hubs around and say they you didn't have enough green beans but someone else did that's you know within a, a, an ethically acceptable driving distance that there could be some product move back and forth and no matter what we would still be using uh, an acceptable product that would still have the kind of notoriety and quality that a consumer that has that discerning uh need is going to accept.
2: You know, Seth, I've wondered this about chefs at restaurants who try to use local food. Do you create the dishes based on the ingredients that you get, or are you buying ingredients with a dish in mind?
4: That that is actually a really good question. (laughs) Um, We have to do both. Uh, On my end, the only way that I can grow my purchasing power with the farmers that I utilize is to be uh, even more organized than what we currently are. If I can get to the point where I have menus planned out six months down the road, I can be telling my farmers, hey, I'm going to require approximately so many pounds of this product each week. And if I let my farmers know that, barring some sort of cataclysmic environmental uh, meltdown, yeah, characteristics, <laughs> we're going to have the ability to, to meet those needs. And if not uh, in advance, they would be able to tell me about that. Now, if I go to the farmer's market and pick up Know, five pounds of fennel uh, from a farmer, uh, I'm probably just going to use that in a special. Like, we, we actually put certain items on our menu, like our risotto, that rotate. There's no clear definition as to what that risotto is because it, we want to utilize whatever we have access to in the moment. Uh, I think there are multiple ways in which a restaurant can use more local ingredients, but really the ultimate goal uh, going forward is just to be organized to the point where you are not only exchanging money for goods with a farmer, but that you become business partners, that you become somewhat reliant on one another, and that you both have a stake in how well that operation works.
2: Well, so the farmers are – you're nodding your heads. Would you get into partnerships with local restaurants like this and say, I'm going to provide you with 500 pounds of tomatoes every month? Is that feasible to do?
5: I mean, we we do it with retailers. Uh, In fact, produce managers – at Blooming Foods, for instance, will visit our farm and say, in in the fall, and say, I'd like you to grow this. Can you do it? And so we plan our season and what we're going to plan on that basis. Now, you know, I think what Jody referred to is so important. I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, obviously restaurants, uh, retailers like Blooming Foods, Store, uh, Marsh, what have you, they want the continuity. They want to know that it's dependable, that they're going to get what they need, And really, that can only be served, I think, by a community of farms that are all working together. And that's why the Local Growers Guild, I think, is such an important key to this whole thing. And, uh, you know, building those connections, producer, retailer, consumer, having storage, having maybe some place to package ship, distribute, even some places to value added products. I mean, you know, you can see how this local food movement can really develop into something uh, quite significant, yeah.
1: You know, I think there's a belief that local food can be more is more expensive to buy. Um, it may be a you know false belief, but I think it's a belief. I know food prices have have gone up. They've broken, I think, the 2008 record. Um, a lot of this is because of fuel and feed prices and all this. But so, could you talk about that? The how we're local fits into this whole price structure
5: well bob i think that's key that the the energy prices going up is going to give a uh, competitive advantage for local food no question so that's part of it another is we're we're an organic farm so we're doing it with a lot uh, out a lot of inputs now in one sense that means a lot of more human labor we're not doing heavily mechanized industrial agriculture, but so you know, just cost of paying employees. But all those inputs cost money too. Um, so there's yeah, there's a trade off, and I think that. But people, I think, pay a premium right now for the experience of going to the farmer's market. It's a community event. They also like that connection with the farmer, and we do a CSA as well. So that connection is very. Intimate. CSA stands for community-supported agriculture, which is a a direct relationship between the consumer and the farmer. This is
2: actually a perfect segue. We've got a question here from our live chat at indianapublicmedia.org slash noon edition, where you can also submit your question, or if you'd like to do it on the telephone, it's eight five five zero eight one one. But this is from Sarah. If I want to buy local produce, what are the advantages or disadvantages of joining a CSA, community-supported agriculture, as opposed to buying at the market? She's wondering if there are any strategies for choosing the right CSA, because there are so darn many in the Bloomington area.
0: Well, I think there's a lot to think about when um, deciding whether or not to do the CSA route versus just shopping at the market. Um, One is, you know... I have friends who really like to go to market and talk and then they forget to shop and so they have like this level of security that they you know they purchase their say they're going to get produce um, and then I know people who really like to stretch themselves as uh, as a cook and so um, you know, some of the CSAs are more focused on the staples, and some of them are more focused on kind of exotic things. And so if you want to stretch yourself, that might be a good route to go. But, um, but you know, I think, it, yeah, it's very much an individual choice. And then looking at the timing, like, you know, do you want to pick up at Saturday Market? Do you want to drive out to the farm to pick up? Do you want a midweek? Those are all things to take into consideration. Before we get too far away
2: from this, a community-supported agriculture is a share in a farm. So as a consumer, I would give money to the farmer before the harvest season in, let's say, February or March. $200, 300 as a way for you guys to buy seeds and to buy labor and to do all the things you need to do to get the food in the ground. Then when you start to harvest, I get a weekly or biweekly share of food—that's my share—and that lasts eight or twelve weeks. Is that correct? Is that a proper definition? Yeah,
5: ours lasts twenty-two weeks. Um, and but you're, that's exactly correct. And the advantage for the farmer is, of course, all the front up, up across of you know, buying all these things to just get the crop planted and in the ground and producing. So uh, I would say another, uh, Marsha Highlighted some really good points about the CSA. Another one is just that relationship. A lot of people want to know where their food's coming from. Then they know precisely where it's coming from. In fact, you know, we have orientations and tours, and we invite our members to come to the farm, have a picnic, bring their kids, just visit the farm, and uh, enjoy being outside in in a rural setting, which they may not be able to experience otherwise. So, um, another advantage is we. We pick the day of. So when we get them a box in the afternoon, that, that crop was in the ground that morning. Um, so the, these are some of the advantages. And I think yeah. that that intimacy is so great uh, because – and it seems to be very popular now. It's really catching on. More and more people like it.
1: We're going to have to take a short break. Um, If you want to talk about local food and CSAs, farmers markets, and all these kind of uh, topics, please call us after the break at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. The web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition. We'll be right back.
6: This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville, information at smithville.net, and from Premier Ortho, online at mypremierortho.com. You can take WFIU with you by downloading podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews
1: Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from The Herald-Times along with Annie Corrigan from WFIU. And today we're talking about local food and uh, a lot of topics, a lot of, uh, a lot of different issues that go along with it. I'm going to do a quick introduction. Jody Ellett is here from the Local Growers Guild. Dave Rollo, co-owner of Stranger's Hill Organics Farm. Seth Elgar, executive chef for Upland Brewing Company. And Marsha Veldman, Bloomington Farmers Market Coordinator. You can join us on the phone, 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. And the web address is wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. We all have questions. We do. We've
2: got somebody on the line right now. But before we get away from CSAs, one of the criticisms we hear about community-supported agriculture shares is that the variety is unpredictable. Some weeks you're going to get eight cucumbers, and I don't know how creative you can be in the kitchen if you have eight cucumbers three weeks in a row. <laughs> Jody, you're raising your hand. What do you say to people who say that?
3: Well, as a former CSA purchaser, we felt the same way, and so our model for Generate Farms, our farm, is a little different. So people will join as a member and then come and harvest. So we expect our members to work, and they will harvest what they intend to purchase. And they'll take home whatever they've harvested and purchased. So they'll pay for it based on whatever they want. And so that's just another model that's out there. Um, We call it a CSA, but it's, you know, it's a little different than the traditional CSA. And, you
2: know, I found a news story this morning. In Vermont, there's a farm who's doing a year-round all-you-can-eat CSA. Mm
3: -hmm. (laughs) would that be even feasible in Indiana? Farmers? Absolutely. If it's feasible in Vermont, we can do it here in southern
1: Indiana. <laughs> well, you can eat
3: CSA.
2: Yeah, let's
1: go to, let's go to our phone caller. It's Katie from Bloomington. Katie?
2: Hi, this is Katie, and I'm um, with Muddy Fork Bakery, and we're actually farmer's market vendors in the preferred food section. Um, and I just wanted to mention that one of my favorite things about using local foods is that we actually get to reuse a lot of the containers, so there's a lot less waste. So, for example, we use... Um, Local flour, and we just trade out five gallon buckets with farmers market vendor, and we also um, reuse the honey containers, the egg containers, tofu containers, and so that that really cuts cuts down on waste, and also just as someone else mentioned, we just love being business partners with a lot of other farmers' market vendors and other local food providers.
1: all right, uh, Katie thanks thank you thank you for calling eight five five zero eight one one in Bloomington. Eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight from outside of the Bloomington calling area. WFIU dot org slash noon edition.
2: We were talking a little bit earlier about food hubs. We've got a comment here from John on our live chat at media dot org slash noon edition. He says, "How have other places funded their food hubs? Does anybody know?"
3: There's three major models, and some of them are. Um, done through grower cooperatives, some are done for profit, and um, others are sort of put together uh, from the extension from point of view, and um, the results of all, all the hubs that have started and the data that's been collected, and USDA has just put out a new um, paper on evaluating food hubs and have found that the most successful food hubs are where all the players are at the table, so you do have the cooperative, you do have you know the nonprofit, and you do have the extension and the, the stakeholders basically all at the same table. And those tend to be the most successful food hubs. And in places, there are, different states have different means of creating a food hub. So for example, in Iowa, it ended up being a, a governor's mandate to create a network of food hubs like Seth was talking about so that... People in Iowa will always have access to fresh local food. That's because they're bigger growers of corn and soy than we are. So, <laughs> it's, if they can do it in Iowa, we can definitely do it in <laughs> Indiana. Uh,
1: I wanted to mention about CSAs again. It seems to me that this is an expansion of something that's always gone on in Indiana. I mean, I think about uh, you know growing up in a small town in Indiana and all the places that you know my family could go to get a side of beef. You know, from a farmer, or to have eggs delivered to our house, or delivered to where my my parents were working. I mean, it's always been here. So, what's you know, what's different now? Well, I I would speak from the the standpoint
4: of the fact that we got very uh, we got very cold and distant from our food system, and we've had to come full circle. We've had to come back, and you have to be to get good food and, and to. To be a positive change in your local food culture, you have to get intimate with it. Um, I think you need to – you know, if you are interested in a CSA, uh, if you get the opportunity to go out and pick produce, you should go do that. If you are buying uh, – meat from a farmer, uh, I think you should go visit that farm. Uh, Tuesday, I was down in Jasper, Indiana at Fisher Farms uh, because I felt really bad. I hadn't been down there. I've been doing business with Dave Fisher uh, just with Upland since I started and and ever since I was back at at Finch's Bronzery and I'd never been to his farm. Uh, So I went down there and got to see hundreds of acres of rolling southern Indiana (coughs) and got to see the animals out in the pasture and got to go visit the the processing plant that provides me with that product. And I feel like if you become part of it, uh, it's going to increase your passion for what it is that you're eating, what you're seeing at the market, and it's going to make you that creative cook that can take those eight cucumbers every week <laughs> and get you involved in things like pickling and preserving, and, and you're going to find ways to utilize that product because you have such a great respect and, and admiration for it.
1: Okay, but, but I got to say, I don't want to necessarily see um, <laughs> what's going to be on my plate. Okay. I mean, I don't necessarily want to see that cow that's going to be butchered. I, I, I know it makes me weak, but... It's just – I don't think I'm unique. I think there are a lot of people that are like that. the
3: success of industrial agriculture. Mm -hmm. It has completely removed us from any – knowing where it came from. Yeah. And it's changed the way we eat. And I think really to have this be a successful model, to be able to grow food locally, people are going to have to eat a little differently. They don't necessarily – Aren't necessarily going to be able to eat out of a box.
1: Well, I'm not suggesting I want yeah. to eat out of a box. <laughs> I'm just suggesting that if I want to buy a side of beef, I don't necessarily want to see the cow. Well, then I guess the,
4: the the best compromise then would be, but not necessarily uh, you know pet the animal, but at least shake hands with the individual that you're buying the I, cow from. That's okay. I can go. do that. Right. I, I I will compromise with you, then. <laughs> okay? <thanks.
2: laughs> Seth, as someone who's making you know twelve to fifty steaks every night at the restaurant, surely buying meat from a local farmer at Fisher Farms is way more expensive for you than having the Cisco truck come up to the restaurant and drop off a bunch of sides of beef? Uh,
4: The the difference in in economic impact for me within the restaurant, uh, part of it is um, I can sell local product because we have a demand for local product. Uh, Upland's motto is drink local, and it's my uh, it's my job. It's my 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 ethical drive to make sure that we can enable people to eat local as much as possible as well. Um, you get what you pay for in, in all things in life, I feel. And um, there may be a, a slight price discrepancy there. But one thing that uh, I brought up during the break is that I get uh, – a vastly greater shelf life out of my naturally raised fresh product that I get from local purveyors, uh, things that come from a commercial vendor uh, aren 't going to have the shelf life uh, even if they 're hit with processing preservatives and things like that they've they 've been trucked across a country and changed hands who knows how many times, and that product just will not stand up uh, to the The test of limited shelf lifetime that that product has within a, a a business like upland
2: you know for people who don't live the foodie lifestyle and don't have local food as an ethic that they hold near and dear and they just need to eat it's too expensive it is too
0: expensive to eat locally as opposed to going to kroger i don't i disagree with that statement it um certainly there are some things at the farmers market that are more expensive than going to Kroger. And I guess it depends if you're comparing apples to apples. Unfortunately, the processed foods are heavily subsidized through the you know, the, the subsidies for corn and soybeans, which is Makes up a lot of what's in processed foods, but if we're talking about you know comparing fresh fruits and vegetables to fresh fruits and vegetables, um, Jody just said she uh, she did price comparison this past weekend. What'd you find out, Jody?
3: Well, I felt first of all I was blown away by the offerings. We've had a great spring, and the growers have just responded by. I mean, they're so talented, and they just brought an amazing variety of produce to the market. I had a list of probably 30 things that I could have bought that are in season, and the prices were fantastic. I mean, the same that you would get in a grocery store, but you're not going to get an apple at the farmer's market right now, Mm -hmm. hence the Mm -hmm. difference. Or tomatoes probably Probably. probably yet. There were some tomatoes. I mean, it is amazing what came to market last week.
0: (laughs) I've done the price comparisons the last few years. I haven't done that yet this year. But um, there you know, certainly um, are some things that are quite a bit less expensive at the farmer's market, and especially if you're buying in season. Like tomatoes at market right now, they've – this year hadn't put quite as much money into propane as in years past since it was such a warm spring, but um, they're going to be – more expensive because they have a lot more inputs um, to getting those early tomatoes but you come mid-season and tomatoes are a good value, and especially if you're, you know, interested in buying seconds or buying in bulk for uh, canning or freezing.
1: Or if you value a tomato that tastes like a tomato. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, there's
0: that. <laughs>
1: yes. Well, I think, again, I think this, is, this has always been with us to a certain degree. I mean, mm-hmm. you could drive around Indiana and see somebody who's selling corn and, and uh, sweet corn and tomatoes in July and and August, and there's no comparison in what you can buy the rest of the year And generally. I mean, at least that's my opinion. Okay. Um, so it's, it's always been, you know, a, a, the case that there's, there are things out there. Um, Dave, I wanted to ask you, you know, since you're sort of new in the farming game, the farming business, I uh, will call it a game, um, what, you know, what are things that you've learned about getting food from the farm to the consumer?
5: Well, it's it, there are so many steps in the process. First of all, I mean having a good seed source, and of course preparation of growing the food, and and then you've got as an organic farm, you know we're liable to have insect pests that you know we have, we have to live with them. As a matter of fact, I think that you know one metric of a of a healthy head of lettuce is that it's got some bugs on it. I mean, you know. <laughs> And that's not intuitive. Like you, Jody said, you know, you, people are used to the idea of this kind of hermetically sealed head lettuce in a piece of plastic. And when you're buying local, you're going to f- find some aphids or something, you wash them off. But that means that it's healthy. But uh, yeah, it's it's a challenge because, of course, it's the seasonality. Uh does matter. A lot of people are going to have lettuce coming on right now. Then there'll be tomatoes, then there'll be peppers, and there's going to be a lot of competition, of course, uh, and prices will fall. So there's, there's, a, there's a lot to it uh, that I'm discovering. Um, but to me, it's it's delightful, and I think there's nothing better. I mean, really, I, I've done a lot of different work in my life, but this is really a satisfying at the end of, of the day to bring in a shipment of food for the community that you know is going to be enjoyed by people uh, I think is a, is, it's, a great, it's a great feeling. So um, one thing I wanted to, to add is that the economics of this, only about two – and, you know, you were talking about the past. A lot more people farmed in the past. Now it's down to, I think, 2 million out of 300-some million people in the country. I think that's going to change. And that's great. That's an employment opportunity for millions and millions of people and and as we shift i think to a sustainable society a lot more people growing and a lot there's going to be a lot of work to do so a lot of you know chance of full unemployment in that sense
1: okay we have about 10 more minutes to go in the program so if you want to talk to us about local food today the farmers market uh, the local growers guild any number of topics that are connected to local food please phone us at 8550811 or 877285 9348, and the web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition.
2: So Martha, Marcia, excuse me, Marcia, I have a question for you. This week, uh, the USDA announced it's going to provide farmer's markets with $4 million in grants to participate in SNAP, which is better known as food stamps. At estimated 46 million Americans use food stamps. This would be an amazing way to get low-income folks into farmer's markets getting fresh local produce. Is Bloomington going to participate in this? We
0: already do. We started accepting food stamps at the market in 2007. So I guess we were on You're the cutting of the edge. Yeah, I, I think we were the first ones in Indiana. And unfortunately, I don't think there are very many yet in Indiana participating. So hopefully we'll see that increase. But um, since we started accepting food stamps at the market, every year the amount of um, Money coming through the market through food stamps has increased, has doubled actually. So, you know, it started a pretty small amount and it's still a very tiny percentage of the overall. But we continue to work with a lot of the uh, nonprofits in town trying to get the word out. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, what- once again, the, the farmer's market in Bloomington is quite a, a, an experience for people. And, you know, we serve, I'm not sure how many counties that WFIU is reaching right now, but uh, probably about half the state. So could you explain a little bit about, um, you know, what people will find when they, if they go there tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, 8.30?
0: All right. Well, mm-hmm. tomorrow's a great example because there's a lot going on. So, um Coming to the market, you'll find a lot of farmers. Probably tomorrow, we'll have uh, eighty or so farmers there selling, and it'll be, you know, produce whatever's in season, and some things that are even a, <laughs> earlier than expected. That's for sure this year. What's mainly um,
1: what's what's in season right now? Mainly
0: strawberries are real big right and now. Gorgeous. And mm-hmm. Yes, lots of leafy greens. Mm-hmm. What else? Just salad greens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oniony type things.
3: Yeah,
4: fennel, uh, fennel is something we've been purchasing a lot recently. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: So, and then there's also meat and cheese and um, other dairy products. Um, and bread, uh, bread yeah. maple syrup, honey, yeah. eggs. You can really buy everything you need for if you you know cook from scratch at home. You can pretty much buy it all at the market. Um, so in addition to the farm vendors, we have an area of the market that's on the Beeline Trail, which is just a really attractive trail through downtown Bloomington. And um, on that trail is the prepared food vending area. Katie called in earlier, and she's one of those vendors selling fabulous bread made from local wheat and um there's a wide variety of kind of breakfasty type items from um, local businesses as well as some heartier foods. Chocolate mousse is there this year with ice cream, which is kind of a fun addition. Not
1: that bacon ice cream, though, right? Oh, it's they delicious. Sample, oh, the the it's sample delicious. of bacon ice cream? Okay. We've got a question
0: so, here from, uh, from our live
2: chat with just a couple more minutes to go. This might be one of the final questions we've got. Looks like this person grows his or her food already and is looking as a way at a way to get into the market and start selling at the market, start selling to restaurants. Uh, it doesn't look like he or she knows how to go about doing it. Help, help, help.
3: So that's one of the issues that I think is very important for new growers or very small growers is um, I think the place to connect these days is online. And uh, buyers of produce get priceless and uh, – are used to a system that uses email and those sorts of communication. And so newer growers, rather than having to try and figure out how much they're going to have as well as who wants it, it's that's a very uphill battle. And the online interface um, hopefully should solve most of that and really bring to light what's really out there, because I think there's a lot more out there. And a lot more folks like mm-hmm. this who would really like to participate. How
1: do people reach you at the Local Growers Guild or somebody at the Local Growers Guild?
3: Right. We have we have a website, localgrowers.org. And then from there, you can find any number of people to contact. But we do have a guild manager, Megan Hutchison, with that all any of this communication can go through. And she will channel you to the right person.
1: Okay. So. We, we have a couple of phone calls. Uh, Stan is next. If we can go to Stan. All right, Stan, are you there? Well, no, we're maybe not. Maybe not. Well, all right. Stan all is right. there. Stan, go ahead.
6: Okay, my wife was uh,
1: raised on a farm, and she really knows the difference between fresh produce and store bought. And in traveling overseas, we find that people in France, for example, naturally prefer uh, fresh foods and current. Americans, I believe, need to be educated about the value of it, and perhaps it's a philosophical question as well, but, but frankly, it tastes better when it's fresh, and that's what we go to the farmer's market for.
2: That's a very good point, Stan. Any comments from our panelists here? Do you agree with that? We're them? all nodding. are all nodding, seriously. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Annie and I are kind of disappointed they didn't bring us any food today. I know. We're at the <laughs> snacks guys. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, we actually have a caller that says, well, how do I get to the farmer's market? This is one of those people from outside of Bloomington and Monroe County. So, Marcia?
0: All right. The Farmer's Market is located next to City Hall in downtown Bloomington. The address is 401 North Morton Street. You can go to the uh, market webpage, which is bloomington.in.gov backslash farmersmarket, and you can get directions there. But it's, uh, yeah, it's easy to find, and we'd love to see you there.
1: A couple more things about the market. One is there's a lot of entertainment there, both on stage and just spread out through the market. And the other thing, and this I think goes hand in hand with today's program, is that you really can get an education at the market because all the farmers who are there are usually, I mean, some of them are pretty swamped and busy, but I've never known one that wasn't willing to talk a little bit.
0: Right, and especially if you come early before it gets real busy or come late in the day. In the middle of the day, it can get kind of harried sometimes and mm-hmm. the vendors might not have as much chance.
4: The the farmers I know as well would, would tell you that it's their goal. Like the, the One of the reasons that they're there is not only to make money, but to build these relationships with people because it's, it's just like a restaurant. You want repeat business. You want people who, who understand the, the, the quality and the, the intensity that you're bringing in your product, and they want you to come back and, and do business with them on a Regular basis, so yeah, the the education that you get there, I think, is the the bonus that, mm-hmm. that didn't cost you anything.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of a social event too. It's sure meet is and talk to a lot of yeah, people. Absolutely, <laughs> right. Uh, we have less than two minutes to go. So, Annie, any file, any final questions? Or We just want to let these guys give us their, their last thoughts on. Local well, food? I,
2: you know, I want just a a statement from each of you that is saying that local food and organic food is the way of the future. Convince me that is that this is the case.
5: And we you only have like twenty seconds yeah. each. So
2: quick soundbite.
5: Well. Sustainability is where the next century is going. I mean, we have to live. We have to reconcile humanity and what we're doing to the planet for the the future, for the children of today. And this is the way to do it. One significant way is through local food. And by the way, it's fun. It's delicious. It's good for your community. And the farmer's market is a great place to be. And speaking as a politician, mm-hmm. there's this polarization in society. Mm-hmm. You don't see it at the farm. No, everybody's a community Good member there
0: mm-hmm. yeah. I think that point oh, Marcia, that ahead. it's uh that it's fun. I mean, there's so many things that you know if we're trying to address climate change like you want to turn your heat down in the wintertime, and it's kind of hard to get put on the extra sweater, that sort of thing. Eating local it solves so many problems, and it's fun
1: all right we. <laughs> We, we, we One second. One no, more five, thing. five seconds. It's
0: secure. Okay. It keeps our food
3: close, so we're secure with where we get our food.
1: All right. Seth, we don't have time for you. I just buddy. want to say thanks. Okay. <laughs> Thank <you>. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for joining us, uh, Jody Ellett, Dave Rallo, Seth Elgar, and Marsha Veldman. For Annie Corrigan, thanks for being here, Annie. This was a lot of fun. For producers Gretchen Frazee and Julie Raw, and for n- engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Also, Premier Ortho, a division of Premier Healthcare, helping people living with injuries and chronic back, spine, or joint pain to get back on their feet. Premier Ortho, 333-1933, online at mypremierortho.com.